Chapter One of The Beast in the Jungle by Henry James. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Beast in the Jungle by Henry James. Chapter One. What determined the speech that startled him in the course of their encounter scarcely matters being probably but some words spoken by himself quite without intention, spoken as they lingered and slowly moved together after their renewal of acquaintance. He had been conveyed by friends an hour or two before to the house at which she was staying, the party of visitors at the other house, of whom he was one, and thanks to whom it was his theory, as always, that he was lost in the crowd, had been invited over to luncheon. There had been after luncheon much dispersal, all in the interest of the original motive, a view of weather-end itself, and the fine things, intrinsic features, pictures, heirlooms, treasures of all the arts, that made the place almost famous. And the great rooms were so numerous that guests could wander at their will, hang back from the principal group, and, in cases where they took such matters with the last seriousness, give themselves up to mysterious appreciations and measurements. There were persons to be observed, singly or in couples, bending toward objects in out-of-the-way corners, with their hands on their knees and their heads nodding quite as with the emphasis of an excited sense of smell. When they were two, they either mingled their sounds of ecstasy, or melted into silences of even deeper import, so that there were aspects of the occasion that gave it for marcher much the air of the look round, previous to a sale highly advertised, that excites, or quenches, as may be, the dream of acquisition. The dream of acquisition at weather end would have had to be wild indeed, and John Marcher found himself, among such suggestions, disconcerted almost equally by the presence of those who knew too much, and by that of those who knew nothing. The great rooms caused so much poetry and history to press upon him that he needed some straying apart to feel in a proper relation with them, though this impulse was not, as happened, like the gloating of some of his companions, to be compared to the movements of a dog sniffing a cupboard. It had an issue promptly enough in a direction that was not to have been calculated. It led, briefly, in the course of the October afternoon, to his closer meeting with May Bartram, whose face, a reminder yet not quite a remembrance, as they sat much separated at a very long table, had begun merely by troubling him rather pleasantly. It affected him as the sequel of something of which he had lost the beginning. He knew it, and for the time quite welcomed it, as a continuation, but didn't know what it continued which was an interest or an amusement the greater as he was also somehow aware, yet without a direct sign from her, that the young woman herself hadn't lost the thread. She hadn't lost it, but she wouldn't give it back to him, he saw, without some putting forth of his hand for it. And he not only saw that, but saw several things more, things odd enough in light of the fact that, at the moment, some accident of grouping brought them face to face. 
he was still merely fumbling with the idea that any contact between them in the past would have had no importance. If it had had no importance, he scarcely knew why his actual impression of her should so seem to have so much. The answer to which, however, was that in such a life as they all appeared to be leading for the moment, one could but take things as they came. He was satisfied, without in the least being able to say why, that this young lady might roughly have ranked in the house as a poor relation. Satisfied also that she was not there on a brief visit, but was more or less a part of the establishment, almost a working, a remunerated part. Didn't she enjoy at periods a protection that she paid for by helping, among other services, to show the place and explain it, deal with the tiresome people, answer questions about the dates of the building, the styles of the furniture, the authorship of the pictures, the favorite haunts of the ghost? It wasn't that she looked as if you could have given her shillings. It was impossible to look less so. Yet when she finally drifted toward him, distinctly handsome, though ever so much older, older than when he had seen her before, it might have been as an effect of her guessing that he had, within the couple of hours, devoted more imagination to her than to all the others put together, and had thereby penetrated to a kind of truth that the others were too stupid for. She was there on harder terms than anyone. She was there as a consequence of things suffered one way and another in the interval of years, and she remembered him very much as she was remembered, only a good deal better. By the time they at last thus came to speech, they were alone in one of the rooms, remarkable for a fine portrait over the chimney-place, out of which their friends had passed, and the charm of it was that even before they had spoken they had practically arranged with each other to stay behind for talk. The charm, happily, was in other things, too, partly in there being scarce a spot at weather end without something to stay behind for. It was in the way the autumn day looked into the high windows as it waned, the way the red light, breaking at the close from under a low, somber sky, reached out in a long shaft and played over old wainscots, old tapestry, old gold, old color. It was most of all, perhaps, in the way she came to him as if, since she had been turned on to deal with the simpler sort, he might, should he choose to keep the whole thing down, just take her mild attention for a part of her general business. As soon as he heard her voice, however, the gap was filled up and the missing link supplied. The slight irony he divined in her attitude lost its advantage. He almost jumped at it to get there before her. I met you years and years ago in Rome. I remember all about it. She confessed to disappointment. She had been so sure he didn't. And to prove how well he did, he began to pour forth the particular recollections that popped up as he called for them. Her face and her voice, all at his service now, worked the miracle, the impression operating like the torch of a lamplighter who touches into flame, one by one, a long row of gas jets. Marcher flattered himself. The illumination was brilliant. Yet he was really still more pleased 
on her showing him with amusement that in his haste to make everything right he had got most things rather wrong. It hadn't been at Rome. It had been at Naples. And it hadn't been eight years before. It had been more nearly ten. She hadn't been, either, with her uncle and aunt, but with her mother and brother. In addition to which, it was not with the Pembles he had been, but with the Boyers, coming down in their company from Rome, a point on which she insisted, a little to his confusion, and as to which she had her evidence in hand. The Boyers she had known, but didn't know the Pembles, though she had heard of them, and it was the people he was with who had made them acquainted. The incident of the thunderstorm that had raged round them with such violence as to drive them for refuge into an excavation? This incident had not occurred at the palace of the Caesars, but at Pompeii, on an occasion when they had been present there at an important find. He accepted her amendments, he enjoyed her corrections, though the moral of them was, she pointed out, that he really didn't remember the least thing about her and he only felt it as a drawback that when all was made strictly historic there didn't appear much of anything left. They lingered together still, she neglecting her office, for from the moment he was so clever she had no proper right to him, and both neglecting the house, just waiting as to see if a memory or two more wouldn't again breathe on them. It hadn't taken them many minutes, after all, to put down on the table, like the cards of a pack, those that constituted their respective hands. Only what came out was that the pack was unfortunately not perfect, that the past, invoked, invited, encouraged, could give them, naturally, no more than it had. It had made them anciently meet, her at twenty, him at twenty-five, but nothing was so strange, they seemed to say to each other, as that, while so occupied, it hadn't done a little more for them. They looked at each other as with the feeling of an occasion missed. The present would have been so much better if the other, in the far distance, in the foreign land, hadn't been so stupidly meager. There weren't, apparently, all counted, more than a dozen little old things that had succeeded in coming to pass between them trivialities of youth, simplicities of freshness, stupidities of ignorance, small possible germs, but too deeply buried, too deeply, didn't it seem, to sprout after so many years. Marcher could only feel he ought to have rendered her some service, saved her from a capsized boat in the bay, or at least recovered her dressing-bag, filched from her cab in the streets of Naples by a lazzarone with a stiletto. Or it would have been nice if he could have taken with fever all alone at his hotel, and she could have come to look after him, to write to his people, to drive him out in convalescence. Then they would be in possession of the something or other that their actual show seemed to lack. It yet somehow presented itself, this show, as too good to be spoiled, so that they were reduced for a few minutes more to wondering a little helplessly why, since they seemed to know a certain number of the same people, their reunion had been so long averted. They didn't use that name for it, 
but their delay from minute to minute to join the others was a kind of confession that they didn't quite want it to be a failure. Their attempted supposition of reasons for their not having met but showed how little they knew of each other. There came, in fact, a moment when Marcher felt a positive pang. It was vain to pretend she was an old friend, for all the communities were wanting, in spite of which it was as an old friend that he saw she would have suited him. He had new ones enough, was surrounded by them, for instance, on the stage of the other house. As a new one, he probably wouldn't have so much as noticed her. He would have liked to invent something, get her to make-believe with him that some passage of a romantic or critical kind had originally occurred. He was really almost reaching out in imagination, as against time, for something that would do, and saying to himself that if it didn't come, this sketch of a fresh start would show for quite awkwardly bungled. They would separate, and now for no second or no third chance, they would have tried and not succeeded. Then it was, just at the turn, as he afterwards made it out to himself, that, everything else failing, she herself decided to take up the case and, as it were, save the situation. He felt as soon as she spoke that she had been consciously keeping back what she said and hoping to get on without it a scruple in her that immensely touched him when, by the end of three or four minutes more, he was able to measure it. What she brought out, at any rate, quite cleared the air, and supplied the link, the link it was so odd he should frivolously have managed to lose. "'You know, you told me something I've never forgotten, and that again and again has made me think of you since. It was that tremendously hot day when we went to Sorrento, across the bay, for the breeze. What I allude to was what you said to me on the way back, as we sat under the awning of the boat, enjoying the cool. Have you forgotten? He had forgotten, and was even more surprised than ashamed. But the great thing was that he saw in this no vulgar reminder of any sweet speech, the vanity of women had long memories, but she was making no claim on him of a compliment or a mistake. With another woman, a totally different one, he might have feared to recall possibly even some imbecile offer. So, in having to say that he had indeed forgotten, he was conscious rather of a loss than of a gain. He already saw an interest in the matter of her mention. I try to think, but I give it up. Yet I remember the Sorrento day. I'm not very sure you do, May Bartram, after a moment, said. And I'm not very sure I ought to want you to. It's dreadful to bring a person back at any time to what he was ten years before. If you've lived away from it, she smiled, so much the better. "'Ah, if you haven't, why should I?' he asked. "'Lived away, you mean, from what I myself was?' "'From what I was. I was, of course, an ass,' Marcher went on. "'But 
I would rather know from you just the sort of ass I was than, from the moment you have something in your mind, not know anything. Still, however, she hesitated. But if you've completely ceased to be that sort? Why, I can then all the more bear to know. Per besides, perhaps I haven't. Perhaps. Yet, if you haven't, she added, I should suppose you'd remember. Not indeed that I, in the least, connect with my impression the invidious name you use. If I had only thought you foolish, she explained, the thing I speak of wouldn't so have remained with me. It was about yourself. She waited, as if it might come to him. But as, only meeting her eyes in wonder, he gave no sign, she burnt her ships. Has it ever happened? Then it was that while he continued to stare, a light broke for him, and the blood slowly came to his face, which began to burn with recognition. Do you mean I told you? But he faltered lest what came to him shouldn't be right, lest he should only give himself away. It was something about yourself that it was natural one shouldn't forget, that is, if one remembered you at all. That's why I ask you, she smiled, if the thing you then spoke of has ever come to pass. Oh, then he saw, but he was lost in wonder and found himself embarrassed. This, he also saw, made her sorry for him, as if her illusion had been a mistake. It took him but a moment, however, to feel it hadn't been, much as it had been a surprise. After the first little shock of it, her knowledge, on the contrary, began, even if rather strangely, to taste sweet to him. She was the only other person in the world, then, who would have it, and she had had it all these years, while the fact of his having so breathed his secret had unaccountably faded from him. No wonder they couldn't have met as if nothing had happened. I judge, he finally said, that I know what you mean. Only I had strangely enough lost any sense of having taken you so far into my confidence. Is it because you've taken so many others as well? I've taken nobody, not a creature since then. So that I'm the only person who knows? The only person in the world. Well, she quickly replied, I myself have never spoken. I've never, never repeated of you what you told me. She looked at him so that he perfectly believed her. Their eyes met over it in such a way that he was without a doubt. And I never will. She spoke with an earnestness that, as if almost excessive, put him at ease about her possible derision. Somehow the whole question was a new luxury to him that is, from the moment she was in possession. If she didn't take the sarcastic view, she clearly took the sympathetic, and that was what he had had in all the long time from no one whomsoever. What he felt 
was that he couldn't, at present, have begun to tell her, and yet could profit perhaps exquisitely by the accident of having done so of old. Please don't, then. We're just right as it is. Oh, I am, she laughed, if you are. To which she added, Then do you still feel in the same way? It was impossible he shouldn't take to himself that she was really interested, though it all kept coming as a perfect surprise. He had thought of himself so long as abominably alone, and lo, he wasn't alone a bit. He hadn't been, it appeared, for an hour since those moments on the Sorrento boat. It was she who had been, he seemed to see as he looked at her, she who had been made so by the graceless fact of his lapse of fidelity. To tell her what he had told her, what had it been but to ask something of her, something that she had given in her charity, without his having, by a remembrance, by a return of the spirit, failing another encounter, so much as thanked her. What he had asked of her had been simply at first not to laugh at him, she had beautifully not done so for ten years, and she was not doing so now. So he had endless gratitude to make up. Only for that he must see just how he had figured to her. What exactly was the account I gave? Of the way you did feel? Well, it was very simple. You said you had had from your earliest time, as the deepest thing within you, the sense of being kept for something rare and strange, possibly prodigious and terrible, that was sooner or later to happen to you, that you had in your bones the foreboding and the conviction of, and that would perhaps overwhelm you. Do you call that very simple? John Marcher asked. She thought a moment. It was, perhaps, because I seemed, as you spoke, to understand it. You do understand it? he eagerly asked. Again she kept her kind eyes on him. You still have the belief? Oh, he exclaimed helplessly, there was too much to say. Whatever it's to be, she clearly made out. It hasn't yet come. He shook his head in complete surrender now. It hasn't yet come. Only, you know, it isn't anything I'm to do, to achieve in the world, to be distinguished or admired for. I'm not such an ass as that. It would be much better, no doubt, if I were. It's to be something you're merely to suffer? Well, say to wait for, to have to meet to face, to see suddenly break out in my life, possibly destroying all further consciousness, possibly annihilating me, possibly, on the other hand, only altering everything, striking at the root of all my world, and leaving me to the consequences however they shape themselves. She took this in, but the light in her eyes continued for him not to be that of mockery. Isn't what you describe perhaps but the expectation, 
or at any rate the sense of danger, familiar to so many people, of falling in love? John Marcher thought, Did you ask me that before? No, I wasn't so free and easy then. But it's what strikes me now. Of course, he said after a moment. It strikes you. Of course it strikes me. Of course what's in store for me may be no more than that. The only thing is, he went on, that I think if it had been that, I should by this time know. Do you mean because you've been in love? And then, as he but looked at her in silence, You've been in love, and it hasn't met such a cataclysm? Hasn't proved the great affair? Here I am, you see. It hasn't been overwhelming. Then it hasn't been love, said May Bartram. Well, I at least thought it was. I took it for that. I've taken it till now. It was agreeable. It was delightful. It was miserable, he explained. But it wasn't strange. It wasn't what my affairs to be. You want something all to yourself? Something that nobody else knows or has known? It isn't a question of what I want. God knows I don't want anything. It's only a question of the apprehension that haunts me, that I live with day by day. He said this so lucidly and consistently that he could see it further impose itself. If she hadn't been interested before, she'd have been interested now. Is it a sense of coming violence? Evidently now, too, again, he liked to talk of it. I don't think of it as, when it does come, necessarily violent. I only think of it as natural, and as, of course, above all, unmistakable. I think of it simply as the thing. The thing will of itself appear natural. Then how will it appear strange? Marcher bethought himself. It won't, to me. To whom, then? Well, he replied, smiling at last, say to you. Oh, then I'm to be present? Why, you are present, since you know. I see. She turned it over. But, I mean, at the catastrophe. At this, for a moment, their lightness gave way to their gravity. It was as if the long look they exchanged held them together. It will only depend on yourself, if you'll watch with me. Are you afraid? she asked. Don't leave me now, he went on. Are you afraid? she repeated. Do you think me simply out of my mind? he pursued instead of answering. Do I merely strike you as a harmless lunatic? No, said May Bartram. I understand you. I believe you. You mean you feel how my obsession, poor old thing, may correspond to some possible reality? To some possible reality. Then you will watch with me? She hesitated, then for the third time put her question. 
are you afraid? Did I tell you I was, at Naples? No, you said nothing about it. Then I don't know. And I should like to know, said John Marcher. You'll tell me yourself whether you think so. If you'll watch with me, you'll see. Very good, then. They had been moving by this time across the room, and at the door, before passing out, they paused as for the full wind-up of their understanding. "'I'll watch with you,' said May Bartram. End of chapter 1 of The Beast in the Jungle by Henry James